the trick is is finding the inspiration to play when you can't play for an audience or or with your friends or your peers or big thing about music is it's it's not it's an expression and if nobody's there to hear it it's not quite the same hi i'm sean perrin and you're listening to episode 152 of the clarinet podcast the show for clarinetists Today's special guest on the program is Keith O'Rourke, who is a local Calgarian doubler who has taught and played extensively in Alberta. He's had a chart-topping number one jazz album in Canada, and he seems to stop at nothing to achieve his personal artistic goals. We discuss grant writing, the tasty and creative way in which he's funding his latest project, and some ways in which he's stayed mentally well during this challenging time, including intermittent fasting, the Wim Hof method, and more. Of course, just a disclaimer, we are not doctors and this is not medical advice. If you have any questions about what we're talking about today, uh, which does pertain to health and is provided for conversation purposes only and entertainment purposes, uh, please do talk to your doctor about that. Before we get started today, uh, after the ads, you will hear one of Keith's pieces. This is something that he wrote for his first jazz album, and uh, it's a piece called Port Nola, and I do think that you'll really enjoy it. So I want to thank all of our Patreon backers, all 70 of you, before we get started today. Also, uh, you make the show possible. If you'd like to access ad-free extended versions of the podcast, you can do this for as little as $1 per month at clarinet.com slash subscribe. You can take your playing to the next level with Bakun Musical Services. With 14-day trials, free shipping on eligible orders, and expert advice, you can be sure you're making the best choice for your musical needs. For Canadian customers, be sure to check out the new store that offers Canadian dollar pricing. And for everyone listening, you can get 10% off your next Bakun purchase with code Clarinet at checkout when you shop at bakunmusical.com. That's code Clarinet at bakunmusical.com. Imagine a read that lets you focus on your music, lasts for months instead of days, and even saves you money in the long run. It's all possible with Legere Reads, the world's leading synthetic read brand made right here in Canada. The European cut read is preferred by Legere artists all over the world, including Eddie Daniels, David Schifrin, Carada Giuffredi, and many others. It offers a warm, clean sound with great ease of articulation and is now available for E-flat, B-flat, and bass clarinet. You can learn more at your local music store or at legere.com. That's L-E-G-E-R-E.com. Thanks for listening, and this is Port Nola by Keith O'Rourke. who is a saxophone, clarinet, and flute doubler, I guess tripler, uh, from Calgary, Alberta. And uh, I think this is actually one of the first times that I've had a fellow Calgarian on the show. So Keith, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So just to start off, I was wondering if you could quickly give sort of a dive into what you were doing in the city here pre-pandemic for those listening, sort of to give an uh, insight into what it's like as a freelancer working in the Calgary jazz and clinic and classical scene. Basically what I do is I do like probably, I don't know, like two or three clinics a day is a typical day for me, plus private lessons, plus gigs, uh, which is anywhere from like the orchestra gigs, uh, theater gigs, jazz gigs, um, corporate gigs, pretty much a whole lot of everything. And I get called by a lot of people just because I play not just saxophone well, but I play clarinet and flute quite well as well. 
that's essentially my my life as a freelance artist just keeping busy running oh yeah and my running my band and composing uh, baritone madness is one is my last project i've got another one coming up and yeah that just keeps me busy non-stop before the before pandemic at least and so for anyone out there who's maybe listening to this but in college or graduating their, you know, one of their degrees that they've been doing and they're thinking about a freelance life, what advice would you have for them as far as how to get started and how to maintain that career path? Um, at first, I think the one of the most important things is, is be as diverse as possible. Like I, I know at some point specializing is, is really important, but I found specializing for me was great once I had my foot in the door for all these things, right? So the more work I have on saxophone, the less work I have to take on flute. Um, which is my hardest double for me. Like I, I really enjoy it, but it's the one that it goes out of, out of shape the fastest. So like, uh, so if I can take a saxophone gig or a flute gig, I'll rather take a saxophone gig or a clarinet gig or a flute gig. I'll rather take the clarinet gig. Um, so yeah, f- the first thing for me is diversify, like just make sure you're comfortable in as many styles as possible. Uh, so Knowing jazz, uh, I, I have a classical degree, but I've made my living in jazz. Uh, knowing jazz and classical has opened up so many doors um, for theater, and because then they know I know how to play both both those styles realistically and convincingly. For me, uh, being a doubler opened a ton of doors. There are a lot of great saxophonists in the city, and I'm a saxophonist first and a clarinetist second. So there's a lot of saxophonists in the city and it just opened a ton of doors being one of those guys that could actually, you know, stand up and play a clarinet solo uh, without any warning. And it's like, okay, go Keith. And, you're, and I'm comfortable with that. Uh, but also like, you know, being able to, for me, play convincingly in classical Motown, jazz, rock, R and B, like basically be able to put a different hat on for each gig is, is really kind of important because I can't sound like a classical player on a jazz gig. I shouldn't sound like a jazz player on a classical gig either. Uh, so it, it really, it really kind of helps to have both those sets. Well, and you know, it's so interesting for someone like me who didn't really dip their foot into jazz until much, much later. And I definitely don't consider myself a jazz player. Um, but it is so much more obvious that there's so much more performing opportunity uh, if you're fluent in both. So that's really a great path to have taken, I think. And it's a good sort of piece of advice for anyone listening who's in college that say, I mean, stretch yourself, go see if you can play in a jazz group and you, it's not going to ruin your orchestral chops. Look at someone like Eddie Daniels, even who's been, you know, a past guest on here. He has made also a, just an absolutely huge impression in both, both genres. So don't limit yourself. <laughs> so speaking of this sort of uh, diversification, you've also done a really great job of pursuing legacy projects, I guess I would call them as far as like recordings go. Can you tell me a bit about your recording projects and the next one you have coming up? Yeah. So the, the first project I did was a quintet project uh, and that was, yeah, crowdfunded uh, by family and friends and uh, with no grant sponsors. And yeah, it was basically, I wrote for years and years and years and put together some of my favorites for that and then brought together a band of all my favorite players in town and yeah recorded the first album and that was very well received and then uh, I started working on trying to get a grant for this baritone madness project which is a niche uh, sort of project it's kind of quirky but it's a lot of fun with three baritone saxophones in the band like it's been done before but 
um, we put our own take on it and yeah, some originals, some of my, uh, some standards and yeah, basically the entire band contributed songs for it. And it really, that one really took off. We, we ended up being the number one in Canada, uh, al- one number one album in Canada for three months at the end of 2019, like October, November, December, we were the number one al- album in Canada for jazz. Yeah, that was amazing. And even though we released in September, we were the number five album in the country for jazz uh, for the year, like which is pretty uh, unbelievable to me. But yeah, it's uh, that was a, a wonderful project. And then we were doing a bunch of touring as well uh, and had more lined up for last summer until, uh, you know, the pandemic hit and everything is paused. But so we're hoping we can get back out with that one. And then, yeah, right now I'm actually in the process. I, I got grant funding for my next project, which is a trio album uh, with myself, a bass player and a drummer in town. Also, it's, it's, a, it's a fun little project. The nice thing about a trio is there's so much more space. Uh, there's no piano, there's no guitar, so there's no chords. Um, so there's a little bit more work on my part to be able to make sure everything is full and complete. But uh, the wonderful thing about a jazz trio is it pivots on a dime like you know because there's only three people it's like you don't have to stay as much to what's written we can really get off track and explore things you know and that's such a great and interesting thing i think just to be doing these projects all around i think it's a great way to not only grow your reputation internationally but also to ensure that that uh, your career is very self-fulfilling um, I think that a lot of freelancers, they get into kind of a, a bit of a rut where they're kind of focused so much on what they can do for everyone else. They really forget about what it is for themselves that they need to do for their own playing career. So I think these kind of these kind of projects are really, really excellent in that regard. And, and the fact that you're doing so well with them is just pretty amazing. So do you have any advice for those listening as far as how to prepare for a grant um, that they might be applying for? few things I do is I keep a running tally of, of things I've done that, you know, so when I'm pursuing a, a, a jazz grant, um, I'm not really putting my theater resume on, on, on display, right? So I'm highlighting my jazz experiences, my performances. So first thing I would say is, is cater, cater what you're writing to what you're pr- proposing, essentially. That's the big one. And then, yeah, just try and keep a, like a, a running, a growing list of, of things you've done. Um, so. I'm writing, uh, rewriting my bio right now for an audition I'm putting together and they want a doubler. So I'm making sure I'm highlighting all my doubling, um, experiences so that they know. And I've got, I've got a list of things that is maybe not as organized as I'd like, but I I do have it written down, um, that I can basically pull and, and then plug and play to, to form fit my resume for that, uh, to really highlight what I do well. And yeah, that's, that's essentially one of the biggest things is making sure that you sell what you can do. Why is it important that they give Keith O'Rourke a grant, like, as opposed to somebody else in town? That's the real, that's the real trick. And if it's your first one, that's the hardest one because they want to know that you can, at least in the Alberta grants, um, and actually Canada Council one too, I think they want to know that you can successfully do the project. So that's, that's the thing you have to kind of highlight, you know, what your strengths are, uh, maybe, you know, help, you know, like, look at it like a job interview. So like talk about your weaknesses, but what you're going to do to overcome those. So for my first recording, uh, I had no experience putting together a recording and all the organization stuff and the mixing and the editing and the mastering of everything. I didn't even know where to start. 
But the thing is, when I proposed that, I talked about, okay, I'm going to hire this wonderful producer that has done this dozens of times. And he's had great results, including Juno nominations and, and that all of it, that it really helps uh, your process along knowing that when you're selling yourself to the, the jury, that yes, I have these strengths and I have these weaknesses, but I've hired these people to help me and this team to help me with my weaknesses. So it's not just me, it's me and my team. And in, uh, with all that in play, we can kind of complement each other and, and put out an amazing product. I found when I was finally successful in a grant application, the thing I think that really tipped the scale was showing that I was going to give back. Um, for example, I'd planned some some outreach performances, and, and even to this day, five years after the project, I still sometimes perform some of that music for for you know kids you've seen at Mount Royal College, for example, locally. Um, is that something you've tried to put into your process as well? Not yet. No, it's it's like minimally i'd put it in in some of the performance outreach stuff but that's not really like our, our target market for this um well it can be giving back though in other ways though. i think that for example you by saying i can reach number one on the charts that's giving back culturally as opposed to educationally i guess what i mean is not just showing what does the grant do for you what are you going to do for arts yeah you definitely have to do that like if, if uh so one of the things, so I'm not necessarily doing education, but uh, when I'm writing my grant, I'm thinking about what can I do for the Alberta music scene? Cause I'm in Alberta. What can I do for the Calgary music scene? What can I do for the Canada music scene? It's like uh, one of the things that, you know, Calgary is a wonderful city with a lot of amazing artists, but players out East in Ontario and Quebec uh, don't necessarily know of a lot of the great Calgary players. So the, the fact that I'm touring and, and bringing my bands out there is actually increasing the Alberta uh, presence on Canada's artistic market. And that's the thing I'm, I'm really thinking about uh, developing. So the, the more wonderful musicians from this city that go elsewhere, the more people go, oh, wow, Calgary, it's, it's more than just the, the mountains or, you know, the hockey team. They, they start really seeing that there is a, a real cultural uh, aspect to the city. Yeah, and I think a business word that musicians often forget about would be return on investment, right? If the government's going to give you $10,000, they want to know that that's going to turn into an impact, not that it's going to just have floated off into your personal <laughs> CD project that, that no one ever hears or never goes anywhere, you know? So I think that that's such an important part of it. So before we move on from this, because I do find it so interesting because you've done such a, a good job on these elements, but... Um, you sort of glossed over, I think, your knack for networking. And what I mean by that is you said that your first CD project was actually funded from friends and crowdfunding. It was a pretty involved project. As you said, it was a quintet um, with you know, a full producer at an amazing multi-million dollar studio. Um, so how did you go from a CD project idea to convincing your friends and family that this was worth you know, giving you a shot? Uh, a lot of help from family, to be honest. Like uh, the first one, I had a lot of assistance uh, from my parents uh, who talked to people. To, like my dad has been in, in many businesses for years and years, and I've made some connections with some of those people as well through him before that. Uh, but, you know, he, he would, you know, talk to people that enjoy jazz and like, oh, my son is doing this. And he would talk to them as well. And then I'd talk to, I'd start doing some of this outreach as well and mentioning that, yeah, CDs, they do cost a lot out to to produce and with the streaming and the limited that you get back it's 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 really essential to get some some help to, to start off the fact so just started putting the word out uh 
really early in, in advance of that. And I had a few really, really generous people get back to me that said, yeah, we will help you out. We will help you get you covered. And that was like amazing. Uh, I'm still thankful for those people for their help for that. Uh, Cause without it, that, that first project wouldn't have got off the ground, but it's, it's a lot of it is like, okay, this is what we're going to bring. We're going to give you like these rewards. We're going to acknowledge you on stage. It's going to go in the, in the CD liner notes. When we perform, we're going to mention you, uh, you know, and so for some companies is that that's a really big thing. Uh, but the other thing is there's a lot of wonderful companies out there that they want to be patrons of the arts. They want to be like, you know, there's obviously like if you look at sports, there's a reason why, you know, all the major arenas have a name on them because, uh, you know, companies want to be affiliated with these sorts of things. Companies want to be affiliated with the arts. Most major festivals in Canada seem to be supported by either TD or RBC um, banks, just because they, again, they want to, they want to show that they're giving to the community as well. Um, and in many ways as an artist, you are part of that community and, and spreading, you know, music and culture is, is a big thing. Yeah. And I guess to never, um, take a relationship for granted even, I mean, maybe you play a corporate gig somewhere and five years later that turns into a CD project grant or whatever, you know, it's, it's worth keeping people that you know, and, and always showing up and doing your best and, uh, making an impact, not just in the music colleagues, but everyone else you meet, I guess too, eh? Yeah, making it a, a big giant community, and the, the wonderful thing is, with if you get enough people, you don't have to have uh, one massive donor, right? You can have a lot of people donating thirty, fifty, a hundred dollars, and that goes a long, long way. Like currently, I'm fundraising for my my this upcoming project, and I've been uh, I've had a GoFundMe on since I think March when I started writing the grant proposal. Or no, April, I think, is when I launched it. Anyways, it's a while. And I just said, look, I'm I'm I've been making this amazing bread for myself and I'd be love to I'd love to share it. And like if you'd be willing to pay for a slightly overpriced loaf, it's gonna be good. But you know, that'll help uh, contribute towards this next project. And a lot of people said, Yeah, we'd love to. And some people, you know, gave me a, a really generous donation and it's like, no, I just want a couple loaves and that's it. Uh, other people like say, yeah, count me up as a, a subscription. So they basically ordered, you know, uh, bread for like two and a half months. So I, I knew every Wednesday I was making these loaves for these people and it was great. Uh, and that's all really added up, uh, towards this project. So, yeah, this was actually my next question. And, and so basically how you're segueing into this new project, but also in the face of the pandemic. And that was sort of one of the things with this sort of series here. I'm going to talk to a few local artists who are and the way that they're getting through this and, and being um, a bit entrepreneurial, but still pursuing their music at the same time. And so this bread business that you've come up with, how did that get started? Like, did you one day just decide to start trying to do this or had you previously made bread? And, and for those listening, I, I got to audition one of the earlier loaves you were making with some cinnamon buns. And I remember thinking that it was, he was really onto something because he says it's the best bread it is. It's, it's the best bread I've had anyways. And I've been happy to, uh, to get a few loaves. So um, really, really good, good product. You're doing a great job, but it's also to a, a level which people I think would be happy to pay for. Well, it's the thing is like, uh, I made a few test loaves and the, the first few batches is like, you know, all the recipes call for two. So I just, I gave a couple away to friends and family and it was like, and then they kept saying like, this is better than anything I've bought in the last X amount of years. Like, uh, it just occurred to me as like, I'm trying to raise funds is like, and then I, you know, talked to one of my friends with, uh, the record label I'm on. And the question I had for him is like, do you think people would be interested in this? And 
he said it can't hurt to do it. And so, uh, like, yeah, I just kind of floated it out there and, and then the response was amazing. So it's just one of those random things that just popped in my head. Like, okay, I've, all my family is saying this is better. All my friends that have, have sampled it, just, you know, me handing them off a loaf have said, this is amazing bread. Like bread is like sourdough is not that expensive to make. Uh, so it actually is, you know, really going to make a huge difference for, for the album as it goes forward for the marketing costs, for the printing costs, all that, like. Yeah, it's 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 insane. Well, and it is time consuming. It's also difficult to do well. And I think that people I mean, I remember when you did your, your crowdfunding launch there, basically your your sales argument was, well, OK, you can buy bread for less, but this bread is helping support, um, you know, my CD project. And I thought that was really cool because, yeah, I don't mind paying, you know, a little more per loaf for bread if I can support one of my friends making music. That's pretty cool. And it looked like a lot of people hopped on there. So how are you doing as far as progress? And can people still help out? I mean, I know that you can't be delivering bread around the world, but maybe they can help support you in that or? We're doing very well for the progress. In fact, it's, it's, it was unbelievable over the summer. Uh, it slowed down a little bit for Christmas, which was a bit thankful. So I could actually enjoy myself just a little bit. Uh, yeah, at one point I was making like four to six loaves a day uh, during the week. So that was a, that was a fair bit. Yeah, people can still reach me, but I'm actually uh, currently brainstorming for another fundraising idea for the same project to, to, you know, do a Kickstarter and other rewards and projects for those people outside of the uh, outside of the city. But the GoFundMe is called Bread for Jazz is is the hashtag I made for it. And I think you can search it on through GoFundMe. Okay, well, I'll put up a link to that and maybe your your next endeavor. And uh, also, always remember that you can stream people's music, uh, leave it playing overnight, <laughs> or you can purchase on the website um, that artists have. And uh, that's actually one of the other things I wanted to ask you about was your amazing artist website. And you said there was kind of a trick to this before we went on air. Yeah, I'm with a company called Bandzoogle for my hosting. And the thing about Bandzoogle... I'm not a like endorser or anything for them. Like I get nothing from this. Um, but like, they're just, it's, they're a platform designed with mu musicians in mind. So all their templates are for musicians. So it's literally plug and play. Um, they, they have, a like, I've got to finish doing all the sales stuff, but all my sales go through the record label anyways. Um, but they have like everything from CD sales, streaming, uh, not, not streaming options, but like, um, uh, well, actually you can play your music like any website, but yeah, it's like all their templates are designed for musicians. So all the things you would need, like a, a calendar for, for your upcoming performances, like a blog, all the picture pages, um, music's, uh, a music page and a, a player that's uh, all, that's in, all included as part of their deal. Uh, and then they have a, a premium package, uh, which allows you to do more sales. And I think their overhead is, I think you pay your fee and. I don't think they take anything from the sales. So you can set up kind of a store and charge for online lessons or CDs or workshops or anything like that? Yeah, anything you want to sell, you can do that through them. Uh, I, I've, again, I haven't really taken advantage of that very much. The, the, the big thing I've used them for is uh, they also have for like download codes, they, they provide that uh, service as well. So I've like, I've got the store kind of like blocked, but I've been using or not up and running, but I've been using their download code. So if somebody wants to support the album from anywhere, I can send them like a high quality audio download. So, you know, they no longer have to buy the physical product. They can just buy a download and know that they're paying more than the, you know, 
half a penny per stream or you know <laughs> that, that you would through apple music or spotify uh to, which really supports an artist a lot having a direct purchase well and for those listening you can check his website out at keithorourke.ca i'll put a link in the show notes um or if you're on apple Podcasts, you just check the description but it's got like a, a homepage, a little blog you can feature some other you know elements i like how the music player stays present even as you're browsing the website um, you can put a schedule. Hopefully we can all start building that up again in 2021. This is really great. And for someone who's been kind of, you know, not wanting to go online or intimidated by WordPress or whatever, I mean, there's no excuse anymore. You've got to get a website going. And I should take that advice because I actually took down my personal site when I started Clarinique because I didn't have time for both. But I really should have a personal page too, just to feature music and, and all that kind of thing. So and I wanted to ask you as well. So you, as, as far as lessons, you do, of course, lessons, clinics, um, various other types of you know workshops. I remember once I had the chance when I was working on my CD project to work with you on improvisation. And it was probably the best session that we had. You just have such a wealth of knowledge in that whole area. You know, obviously very well experienced with it too. And now you're teaching an online course. Is that something that anyone can tune in or is that just local in Calgary? Currently, I've got small numbers but yeah it's i've got people as far as california taking the class right now somebody posted a link to a forum and that forum you know piqued somebody's interest in california and she signed up and has been pretty much on all the classes but one so it's anywhere you can you know have access to zoom uh that platform you can you can take the class and yeah it's basically i'm running it as like a drop-in sort of class so each week I will have a handout. I will have some information. I'm going to talk about whatever standard I decide that week. Um, like last week was we were working on a night in Tunisia. Uh, and the next week we're going to work on uh, all the things you are. Every week is like slightly different. And, you know, we've addressed the blues and we'll obviously return to that because the blues and jazz are very linked. Um, and yeah, just provide students with some vocabulary, some some strategies for improvising because if you're new to improvising the, the the trick is is like how do you start like yeah there's like it's it's essentially composing in the moment but you know any musician that's tried composing whether for like a school project or or something serious is like it can be hard to to come up with a melody and so having having certain strategies to start uh really can help and then talking about the chords and the harmony and how they work together uh, is is like you know a little bit of each of that uh, some ear training some weeks other weeks not so much it all it all depends on on the theme of the week but over over several weeks the students will get a fair number of strategies that they can use yeah do check that out if you're looking for something to do online that's a little different from your standard you know, clarinet type lesson. This is, I think, like we were saying at the beginning, you want to diversify, right? And uh, the next thing I was going to ask you about actually is, is, is exactly what I was about to advise other people is to use this time um, that you have during this whole pandemic situation. Obviously, it's very unfortunate for, for many, but for many of us, we're also just kind of waiting it out, right? Um, so try and use this time to diversify if you can, right? And so Keith, I kind of wanted to ask you as far as personally trying to keep artistically motivated, obviously you got your CD project you're working on, but what are you doing to keep yourself optimistic during this time? 
I, okay, so the beginning of the pandemic, I kind of mourned all the gig losses, but I'm a, a fairly positive person in general. So the, that that motivation doesn't take a ton of work for me. I've been described as a little bit too optimistic at times by some people. <laughs> so uh, that that is, that's not my necessarily my downfall. The the trick is, is finding the inspiration to play when you can't play for an audience or, or with your friends or your peers or like uh, the big thing about music is it's it's not it's an expression and if nobody's there to hear it it's not quite the same like for me it's really just using the time to compose the time to practice uh work on things that i have meant to work on for years like i took a lesson with uh one of my favorite sax players in toronto a guy named kirk mcdonald and kirk gave me these exercises and i it just got so swamped with things i never had a had the time to fully go through them and you know eight months in i'm finally getting a handle on those <laughs> so it's like some of these exercises are pretty uh pretty intense and i'm a slow learner so i need i need a lot of time on these things but that's kind of what i'm doing is just like you know taking you know one little project and working on it and then and, and looking at the next thing and reading books uh or everything from fitness to uh, you know, I've talked about Wim Hof, like I've read about that. I've read about, you know, um, marketing. Well, not, not as much about that. Uh, uh, like maybe a couple of things, but little things, uh, pretty much anything to keep, you know, keep developing right now. Cause can't hurt to be, again, have more knowledge and more skills to, to present as I go forward. This is so funny because it's, it's as if you're looking at my, my question sheet, which I actually, for those listening, I don't send the question sheet that I have, but <laughs> Keith is somehow segueing into all the questions here, which is kind of creeping me out. <laughs> but that was my next question is, so that's what you've been doing musically, but I think a lot of people have been struggling kind of mentally and like just discipline wise. I was going to ask, is there anything else you've been doing? But I also happen to know because you've talked about this, that you're into just like I am alternate fasting and the Wim Hof breathing method. Um, so we're going to go into that, but just quick disclaimer, we're not doctors. Talk to your doctor. This is for conversation purposes only, but obviously we're discussing health information, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a doctor and I don't play one on the internet. Uh, <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, I, I, I came across this book by a guy named Dr. Jason Fung and somebody recommended it to me years ago and he said it, it really helped him you know, lose, he, like, this is a very, a very healthy guy for the most part. And he had maybe like 10 pounds is maybe it's total overweightness. Like, but he said, yeah, it helped him get, lose a little bit of weight and he felt a little bit more clarity. Uh, so I was like, oh, interesting. And I kind of, and then, and yeah, he said, yeah, it's, it's fasting. And, and I said, oh, I don't think I could ever do that. And I kind of wrote it off. And then somewhere along the line around, I think last, just after Christmas, I saw the book. I was like, ah, okay, why not? I'll, I'll check it out and read it. And it made a lot of sense. And I gave it a shot just before the pandemic started. Had a, had a lot of success right away. I think I lost like eight pounds in the first week. Um, and then another six in the second week, which is, you know, for a guy that's obese, that's a great start. Or I was obese, I should say. And yeah, it just, it was surprising. It wasn't as hard as I thought. And I actually have a lot more energy because on the fasting days. So I don't, uh, there's, there's science and I, I don't remember all the science offhand, but yeah, it's, it's weird. The body gives you, uh, like noradrenaline, I think is the one and it, it just allows you to be more energetic. And yeah, I have a ton of energy once I'm waking up now, despite the fact that, you know, my last meal was a day and a half ago. Well, that's what's been super weird 
for me thinking about this too is I remember, I think it was you actually who introduced me to this idea. Maybe it was last summer. We, I remember we went for a really long bike ride and I had been surprised that you were just having your first meal at like four in the afternoon. <laughs> we were talking about this. I have found as well that with doing this intermittent fasting, the weirdest thing is that when you start, you're like, oh no, there's no way I can do that. How can I skip even one meal? Um, but as you do it, like you have your most energy and you're, you're most productive during those periods, which I find super backwards, but that's what happens. So even today, like it's 2 p.m. I haven't eaten yet. I didn't eat since yesterday at eight and I feel wonderful, <laughs> you know? Yeah, my last meal, this is was what we're talking Tuesday at like one-ish, and my last meal was Sunday night. So this, do you think that impacts um, music? Because like I have found, you know, as far as productivity, my productive times are now, I almost schedule them to be around my fasted times because I know that when I have a big lunch or dinner, I'm going to be tired for a few hours and just less kind of clear than if I have had a period of, you know, 12, 16, 20 hours fasting before it. Yeah, that's that's the curious thing. Like I'm I'm still trying to like figure out that balance because I'm I'm getting ready for recording. So my practice is super uh focused when I'm fasting. But I can't fast all the time. Like I, I do have to eat at some point. But it, it's the one of the things I'm like it, it's it's really interesting. But I, I actually get really cold when I practice. So my hands get cold. Or when I fast, sorry. Uh, so my hands get cold. So my practice, in, in some ways, I'm very focused mentally, but my hands are cold, so they're sluggish. Uh, so it's it's finding that interesting balance. But uh, so there's a lot of sweaters, and I, yeah, I got a little heater in this room, and <laughs> I warm my hands up a lot. But yeah, that's 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 the interesting thing. But the energy and the focus is, is amazing. Uh, and and Doctor Fung in his books talks about uh, why there's a rational reason for it. And, you know, and, and all that. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting how, uh, how focused you get. And apparently a lot of people in Silicon Valley, like all those tech people, uh, that are trying to get that upper edge, they do a lot of the same sort of thing. Uh, and you can get the same benefits from as I think they said as little as 16 hours uh, of a fast, which is, you know, just skipping breakfast essentially. Yeah. And the big thing is no snacking. So you eat your dinner at, let's say eight o'clock, and then you want to fast until 12 the next day. That's your 16 hours. But you can't stay up until 2 in the morning eating nachos and chicken wings. you gotta, <laughs> you got to stop yourself. You know, that's the, that's the thing, right? So 16 hours of actually no eating it. I guess it rests your body. And it, it's really interesting. I, I would definitely advise not only looking into it for kind of mental clarity and discipline and just honestly not eating is something to do, I have found. <laughs> it's kind of an activity to, to keep your mind on. You're focusing on your fast. It's not, I'm not worried about what's outside as much right now. Um, but also it saves money. Like you save a surprising amount of money cutting a couple of meals a week out of your, your budget. I, I've cut every other day out of my budget. So I'm, I'm saving something like 300 a month on, on meals. <laughs> <laughs> it's just insane. Well, and it's worth mentioning, like, I don't want people to think that you're starving yourself. That's a big misconception. It's simply not consuming all the extra calories that you probably didn't need to be consuming. I mean, if you're malnourished, this is obviously not something you want to be doing. But most Americans, especially North Americans, we're consuming way more than we need. Yeah, I started this as an obese person. So like I was uh, more than, I'd say, 80 pounds overweight, you know, because looking at the ideal number for me is about 190 and I was in the 270s. I've got a lot of fat for fuel, so it's not that much of a hardship. If I was, you know, if I had 10 pounds to lose, then the alternate day thing I'm doing is not a good strategy for people. But, uh, I, yeah, I was technically considered obese when I started because, you know, 
Um, I think I was 30 pounds into the obese range uh, when I started. So now I'm uh, 20 pounds away from being overweight. Or I'm, no, at weight. I'm currently overweight. Um, so it's it's one of those interesting things that it your body has fat for storage, which is exactly what it's for. So if you fast, then you you use some of that storage and you lose it, which has been great. Well, and you've also done an incredible amount of bike riding, and uh, and uh, I remember you were saying, what were you up to, 50 kilometers a week or something? Oh, no, I was doing 50 kilometer days. A day? <laughs> oh, my God. Not not every day. I was like, I do, like, because, I, again, I spent most of my summer either making bread or practicing. Uh, so I do probably two 50-kilometer rides in a week uh, over the summer, like every week. And then probably, like, a, a, a quick 20K ride with, you know, a couple other times. So that's a... Like a 20 kilometer ride on my mountain bike is as a one hour ride. So I do like, you know, two, two of those and maybe two 50 K ones a week. Do you think that the indirect kind of discipline from the fasting helps you with your exercise and musical practice routines? Maybe it might be the other way around. I think my, my music practice routine might help the fasting because I, I, you know, there's musicians that struggle to practice and there's musicians that don't. And I'm that second category like i i find practicing fun and easy to spend hours doing um you know i get like kind of one track mind and we'll just focus on like okay what can i play over these two chords how can i make these six notes interesting uh and i'll do that for like 40 minutes and in many ways the the practice sometimes makes the fasting easier i don't know and the bike riding i just i enjoy bike riding it it's it's a like there's Sports I really enjoy: biking, uh, downhill skiing, and uh, swimming. Those are, those are the ones I, I I wasn't doing biking for exercise. I was doing biking because I enjoy the ride. Well, and did you read that book? I think it was uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Might have been someone else though. Where they talked about this ten thousand hours of of uh, practice on something to become a world class proficiency. Yeah, I've read that. Outliers, maybe. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I remember this specifically that he said something like the thing that sets people apart is simply the time they put in really. I mean, are you putting your work in? And it's funny because I listened to, or I talked to, sorry, Eddie Daniels a while ago, it's still fresh in my mind. Um, but he is pushing 80 and he said to me on the call that he was, he loves practicing, always practicing. And he was hoping to get another 10,000 in before he leaves this earth. <laughs> I was like, that is the kind of motivation he has. One of the best you know, jazzers ever. And he still wants to practice 10,000 hours every couple of years. It's a, no wonder he's so great, you know? Yeah. He's insanely good. I really, I love Eddie's playing a lot. Uh, his, his tone and his lines they are, they're fantastic. Uh, and yeah, that's the thing is like, if you, if you, if you enjoy what you're looking at that are working on, then you're going to be able to practice. Uh, but I also read an interesting book by, um, another player is like, Creative approach to jazz practice, I think is called something like that. Well, you'd suggested one to me at some point too, called the practicing mind. And I think that's where I got the, uh, the idea of this thing called the horizon theory, I think they call it, where it doesn't matter how far you get, the horizon's always the same distance. So like to use a boat as an analogy, like you're sailing out to sea. If you never are happy kind of having that horizon distance ahead of you, you'll never be happy anywhere, right? You can never reach the horizon is the point. Right. So same thing with practicing, like doesn't matter how good you get. There's always, you can see farther now. Yeah. 
Yeah, and this thing is like, I, I just kind of, when I'm practicing, if I get bored of one thing, I move on to another, right? So instead of, you know, oh, I'm bored of playing, which I'm not, I'm just bored of maybe doing my scales and thirds uh, and an awkward part of the instrument or I don't know, whatever concept. So I'll just kind of, I'll shift from one concept to another so that I, I can keep inspired, but and keep doing the work. But, you know, clearly at a certain point in time, I'm, I'm done working on that concept because I'm no longer able to focus on it. So I will, I'll just pivot and work on a different thing. Totally. And so how did all this move into learning about the Wim Hof breathing method? Um, it's super funny for those listening because Keith and I, we text back and forth a fair bit. And a couple of weeks ago, or maybe a couple of months ago now, I had just messaged him about this new thing I discovered and we'd sort of discovered it at the same time, it seemed. <laughs> so what led you to that from the fasting? I'm not exactly sure how I discovered it. Uh, I think I was just watching a couple of random episodes of Joe Rogan and, you know, YouTube were uh, rabbit holes that I fall down. <laughs> like, <you> know. <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I live by myself in a pandemic. So it's like sometimes when I'm, when I'm doing the bread, I'll, you know, I'll put on something in the background. So if I'm, if, while well, I'm doing the mixing and all that of it, like, you know, it's 10, 15 minutes of, of something. And if, what, if the, the thing I had previously played is like seven minutes and it's going to take me 15 minutes to do the ch chore or the task, then it, oh, YouTube auto plays something. And at some point, yeah, an interview came on with him and was like, oh, that sounds fascinating. And I looked more into it. And, you know, the whole thing about Wim Hof is like, it's, it's literally breathing and cold exposure, like within like, you know, gradual cold exposure. So like starting with like short showers to get acclimated to it. And I was like, well, this, it sounds pretty harmless. So why not give this a try too? So I did. And yeah, it's, it's the breathing is amazing. I feel like so energized when I do his breathing studies. Yeah. And do you find it's actually helped your saxophone playing particularly or more just your day-to-day -day life? Um, I think it's just a day-to-day -day life thing. Uh, the thing I like about it is he talks about like, there's the, he has really been able to overcome a lot of like, you know, other ailments. Like I think in one of the scientific studies they'd had him do, they injected him with E. coli and he had like zero reaction to it. It was like, well, and this day and age when, when the pandemic's raging is like, if, if breathing and cold exposures can help make my body more immune to things like, well, what's the harm? Uh, I'm not going to go jump in a, an ice lake right now. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm not that good at it or anything like that. But the thing is like, if, if, you know, these two minor things that like, I think, you know, the breathing thing, it's like 10 minutes a day. And the cold exposure, like, you know, up to two minutes in the shower, like it's so total, total commitment of 12 minutes a day. I can do that. And if it's going to help my immunity, great. And if it doesn't, the, the breathing exercise still feels pretty great. So, you know, I've been looking into meditation for a while too, because I get anxiety when performing. So anything where you're completely focusing on your breath is a great thing to, to do because then it helps you when you're on performance, just, you know, focus on your breath and, and brings you back into the moment. Well, and this cold exposure is so interesting too. And again, I just want another caveat here in case someone skipped ahead, but like, this is not health advice. Talk to your doctor. Someone sent me a message actually saying that well, I was talking about this on Instagram and they said that it was irresponsible or something. I mean, make your own health decisions. Obviously this isn't for everyone. If you have an underlying condition, don't do this, but I've been doing this cold exposure too. And uh, one of the interesting things I find is it changes your mentality, not just about the cold shower um, and its alleged benefits, whatever they happen to be, but it just changes your mentality towards 
getting other things started in your life. Like if you can stand under ice cold Canadian water coming out of the tap for three minutes, <laughs> then surely you can start your taxes or practice for 10 minutes or whatever you're trying to accomplish, right? It makes sort of pushing into those things in life that you've been trying to do a lot easier. That's just an observation. So I'm wondering once it gets back to performance season and there's things to do musically, like will it have helped with my uh, trepidation about you know things like stage fright or pushing for opportunities or whatever it happens to be? I think it will help with things like stage fright. You know, it really kind of calms the anxious mind down taking all those deep breaths. Um, so I, I think it will do that. Uh, there's another great book uh, by a neuroscientist and, a, and it's co-written neuroscientist and a psychologist um, called uh, Rewiring the Anxious uh, Anxious Mind, something like that. Like, again, I can send you the title of that. That was a fascinating book written by a, a neuroscientist that I, they talk about some of the, the cognitive behavior therapies and all that. Because uh, yeah, I do get nervous. I think it's a sign that I care about uh, my performance and, and, you know, maybe an overly, overly too much, but, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting how, how just like things like breathing exercises can really calm down the anxious mind. Uh, so uh, again, the whole thing with Wim Hof, I figure what's the harm? Like there's, it's breathing. It's, I do that all the time. And, you know, people have been doing breathing exercises, whether it be in yoga or other activities like that for I guess thousands of years. How old is yoga? <laughs> and Wim is uh, is fascinating because the more the more you read about him, like he's he's very studied in in a lot of those traditions too. Like, uh, so like I, I, he's referred to some of them too. I, I'm, but yeah, he's he's definitely schooled in the yoga th- uh, school. And I think there's another one that, but I can't recall it off off the top of my head. Well, I definitely used to count myself as someone who was very kind of more scientific and analytical, or so I would say. And I always thought that these kind of things were a bit silly, but as I'm getting older and a little more achy and, and tired and, and things, it's, it's, I'm like, wow, I wish I'd been doing this for 20 years instead of dismissing it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, the, the curious thing about him is he's, he's really like, he, like, he sounds new. If you listen to Wim talk, it's like, for me, it's hard to listen to him talk versus a, a guy like Dr. Fung. Uh, Dr. Fung is talking about hard science and facts and, and Wim's like, yeah, I just kind of felt this. And now the scientists are proving it. But he's he's really engaged with the scientific community so that they can they can prove it or disprove it, uh, which is the really interesting thing about him is like he definitely sounds like an, an like a new age guru like it's the almost the hard thing to listen for me for to him it, is it sounds it's, it sounds like a, a lot of like what was it my whimsical yeah a whole lot of woo <laughs> like you know woo woo yeah, sort yeah. of stuff. Uh, <laughs> And it's the thing is, so, you know, listen to him talk, but then, then you have him like, you know, going in and doing research with scientists and, and they're like, okay, well, it's, it's all good that you can do this. Can, can, can you train other people to withstand E. coli? So he had like, you know, a team of volunteers came and studied with him for a little bit. And then they injected those people with E. coli too. And they also avoided the some of the, the side effects of, of E. coli, which is like remarkable. It is amazing. And the funny thing too, is he actually has a twin brother. So it's made the science even easier to kind of <laughs> analyze because the twin brother isn't hiking up Mount Everest in his shorts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Um, yeah, I think, he, yeah, I think he's like clearly like the 1% of, of that. Like not everybody can maybe get to that whole sort of level, but if, if you can increase your natural immunity, like, like what's what's the harm i'm still gonna you know wash my hands and and be as safe as possible through all this but 
Like uh, there's no harm in, in breathing too doing these exercises in my mind, in my musical, like I'm not a doctor uh, in my opinion, as a musician, like it, it can't hurt. Totally. Breathing is good for music. Breathing is good for wind players. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Keith, this has been a really great conversation. We've actually touched on an incredible number of subjects. So uh, for those listening, this might be one you refer to again later, heading back and checking out all the great things we talked about today from grant writing all the way to Wim Hof breathing amazingly. <laughs> so uh, was there anything else though, before we move on that you'd like to touch on before we wrap up? I think I'm good if, if, you, if you don't have any other questions for me. Well, I think that's great. So you can check out Keith's website at keithorourke.ca. I'll put a link in the show description, show notes for this episode. And uh, don't forget also, he's got that improvisation class you can can join in. And he's releasing a new crowdfunding soon about his latest CD project, which actually that might be out by the time this episode airs. So I'll, again, I'll upload the uh, episode description with more information. So if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your free podcast, the episode will end here. But if you'd like access to an extended ad-free version of today's episode and many others, you can check out clarinet.com slash subscribe and get started for as little as $10 a year right now. You can learn about that at clarinet.com slash subscribe. Thanks so much, Keith, for joining me. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Clarinet Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode today, do be sure to tell your clarinet friends about it and also to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you're interested in the show notes for today's episode, they can be found at clarinet.com slash 152. And I've got links to Keith's website and the band Zoogle we were talking about and a couple other things on there for you to check out. If you listened all the way to the end and find yourself wanting a little more, do remember that we offer the Patreon edition for as little as $1 per month or $10 per year. You can access that at clarinet.com clarinet.com subscribe uh, clarinet.com slash subscribe rather and uh, you will get access to an ad-free extended version of the show and today's episode in particular was over 20 minutes of extra conversation we really just got chatting and i think you'll really enjoy what's in there so i'd also like to thank of course those who are supporting the show for ten dollars a month or more these are our gold sponsors we have andrew m april j david s debbie a glenn k jason s josh n Karen D, Miguel D, Todd M, and William L. Thank you so much for supporting the show. You really do go a long way towards making it possible every single month. Also, of course, our sponsors, thank you to Legere Reads. And you know what? They're coming back on the podcast. I'm super excited about this because I last spoke with them back in 2016. And this was right when the European Signature Read was launching. And so much has changed since then. They've had some really amazing new features come along, which honestly, those of us who've been playing Legere Reads for a long time really have been looking forward to, such as the embossed permanent lettering on there. I know that sounds like kind of a silly thing to be excited about, but the stickers they used to use used to fall off, and that would be kind of inconvenient when their reads last so long. And, you know, you'd wash the read and the sticker would go away, and then you don't really know what strength it is anymore. So that's a really great feature. They've also made great improvements to the consistency of the reads, and the, the quality I found has really stayed steady and even gone up. And uh, they now come in a little recyclable case as well. So really looking forward to chatting with them. And uh, of course, you can check out their products at Legere.com. That's L-E-G-E-R-E.com or anywhere you get your, your uh, clarinet products. A local music store would be a great place to start. So also, you can take your playing to the next level with Bakun Musical Services. With 14-day trials, free shipping on eligible orders and expert advice, you can be sure you're making the best choice for your musical needs. For Canadian customers, be sure to check out the new store that allows you to pay in Canadian dollars 
$10. And for everyone listening, use code CLAIRNEAT at checkout when you're shopping at bakunmusical.com for 10% off your purchase. And yes, this applies to everything ranging from Leger reeds, as I just discussed, all the way to mouthpieces, barrels, bells, and even custom clarinets. So if you're in the market for a new instrument, this might be a great way to save a little bit of money and get what you really want at the same time. So thanks so much for listening again. I'm your host, Sean Perrin, signing off from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I look forward to seeing you next time on the Clarinet Podcast, the show for clarinetists.